0: So Money, episode 879, David Bach, author of The Latte Factor. You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Tarabi. Each day, get a 30 minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh yourself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
1: First of all, I believe that the reason people are, are failing financially is that for the most part, people are financially illiterate.
0: We have one of my favorite financial pros on So Money today. David Bach is here, everybody. Welcome to So Money. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. David is one of the most trusted financial experts and best-selling financial authors of our time. And he's on the show. I feel very lucky. He has written nine consecutive New York Times bestsellers with over 7 million copies in print, including two number one New York Times bestsellers. His latest book which has brought him back on the show, is called The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Need to Be Rich to Live Rich. Check out the lattefactor.com. This book takes a bit of a departure from David's typical approach to writing. It's a fiction book. Of course, still has a lot of David's philosophies around how to build wealth, but this is a heartwarming parable that David wrote with best-selling co-author John David Mann, who wrote The Go-Giver, tells the story of Zoe, a 20-something woman living and working in New York City who is struggling to make ends meet. She's got a lot of credit card debt, student loan debt. Anyone? sounds Sound familiar to anyone? And just trying to make ends meet. And through the book, David demystifies the secrets to achieving financial freedom. I'm just going to cut right to the interview. It's a good one, everybody. Here's David Bach. David Bach, welcome back to So Money. I'm so grateful for your support all of my career. You were you wrote the four you wrote like a testimonial for my very first books. No questions asked. You wrote back immediately. I will support you. You've been my biggest champion since day one. It's such a pleasure to have you on So Money. Well,
1: wow! Well, you give me chills with that introduction, right? and you know it's so cool to be here with you today. I just went on your on your podcast and think you're you're almost eight hundred and sixty five podcasts later. Um, <laughs> I mean, you you are just you you you're remarkable, and I have to tell you, I have to give you a massive plug right now. Um, I went and checked out the Stackhouse. Oh, my gosh. Yesterday, I'm in West Hollywood right now. I drove my family downtown. I said, I've got to see what Farnesh is doing. I've got to check this out. You have created the most amazing experiential um, event place for women in financial empowerment. And I was just super excited. And I took James, my nine-year-old. He was very disappointed, by the way, though, that he couldn't go on the bucking pig. Oh, I just Do we have an age limit?
0: Is that why? Yeah, well, I'm sure because it's probably insurance, right? Yeah, we have – that was – someday we'll have a drink. I'll tell you all about that pig. It's, it's It actually is going to be like – our. it was our best investment, I think, in the entire space. It's going to keep – Well, I'll giving. tell you what. We got – my my wife got
1: on there. And so I have, <laughs> I have a video of my wife wearing the silver cowboy hat, which I thought was super cool. But, you know, like mm-hmm. it's really fun. It's really experiential. And like the very beginning where we were at the boxing, James loved the boxing. Mm-hmm. I've got pictures of us, you know, beating down debt. I thought that was super unique. And so I just, I salute you. I know how hard it is as an entrepreneur to go and start another business. And I think it's just awesome. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. That means so much to me. And I know um, as the author of, you know, Smart Women Finish Rich, that's a huge endorsement. You've been um, championing women since your beginning of your career. And so um, it was really a treat to have you go through it. And I'm glad that you liked it. Thank you.
1: I know. So I hope you bring one in New York, right? In our hometown. We're trying.
0: So. You know, we want to start traveling. And while New York was, you know, in our heads, we thought New York would be like the final destination as we mo- go from West Coast to East Coast. We wanted to hit up Austin and Chicago and all these places. Um, but we're hearing a lot from the New Yorkers about coming sooner than later. So, you know, that's going to cost some money. So we need uh, we need all the support to be able to fund this in New York. It's a, it's kind of an expensive city.
1: Yeah. Well, the good thing is we've got a lot of major financial yes. service companies in New York that would be very wise to sponsor this. So um, anyway, congratulations. And um, yeah, I salute you. Well done. So anybody who hasn't yet got to <laughs> check out Stackhouse, if you're still in LA and, you, and I don't know when you're going to air this podcast, but I know you guys are open through May, um, yes. it'd be great. You know, go, go now and check it out because it really is fun.
0: Oh, thanks, David. All right. Well, David, enough about that. Let's talk about your latest project, your book, The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Need to Be Rich to Live Rich. I I want to know why you decided to focus on the latte factor which is something that you coined years ago and it's become really like just an expression that we all use and um we uh, it's such a big part of the personal finance conversation you really like kind of created history with the latte factor back in the day when you talked about the importance of giving up your latte which is now symbolic for just you know making important trade-offs in your financial life why revisit the latte factor now?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's because you and I were at FinCon together a couple of years ago. And I of all the things I've taught, this is my 13th book. And The Latte Factor is different than any book I've done. This book is a story. It's not a a nonfiction book. So it's not your, you know, I've done, I've got 7 million books out and they're all what I would call how-to, motivational, prescriptive finance books. And Here's the problem with that. (laughs) Even with the fact that I've reached 7 million people through those books, the problem, Farnoosh, let's be honest, is that most people will never read a book on personal finance. Mm-hmm. They all, they all need. We all need it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I there were stats. It Stackhouse again. I keep continue to blow me away. Like the fact that sixty percent of Americans, six out of ten, have less than a thousand dollars in savings. Like we have, we have such a huge problem in this country, and it's frustrating to me because I've been doing this for twenty six years now, and it's not actually getting better for the bulk of people. It you know, uh, like when I wrote the Automatic Millionaire the the people who know what to do are getting richer right like the amount of millionaires in this country have doubled in the last 15 years so there's a segment of our population that's getting much wealthier because the stock market's going higher it's at an all-time high real estate's going higher it's at an all-time high but the bulk of Americans are not just staying they're not staying even they're falling behind and so truly out of like both frustration and hope i thought i want to write a, a story that will reach more people who wouldn't normally read a financial book. I wanna, and I really want to reach young people. So this was like my push mm-hmm. to reach the 100 million millennials that are out there, Generation Z and Generation Y, to give, give an entire generation hope that there are some simple things that you can do. There are timeless lessons that if you start in your 20s or your 30s, you can buy your financial freedom. And so, I've had a dream to do this book. This is how dreams work. I've had a dream to do this book for 14 years. And after The Automatic Millionaire, which I launched on The Oprah Show, when Oprah and I did this segment on The Latte Factor, it was the thing that really went viral. And I went back to my publisher and I said, I want to write a parable. I want to write a story like Who Moved My Cheese or The Alchemist. And they said, you, you can't do that. You're a nonfiction writer. You can't write a fiction book. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> And I'm like, well, I, I wasn't even a nonfiction writer before I wrote that book. Right? Like, how do you know what right. I can do? So I, I kept going back to my publisher, who I love, Random House, because I'd done I'd done twelve books with them, and every couple years I go back and say I want to do the Latte Factor, I want to write this, I want to write this little story that can be you know like a hundred pages that people can read in an hour, and they would just say no. So finally, honestly, after my like twelfth book, which was in two thousand eleven, I said I'm not going to write any more books, and then years went by and I was free from my contract with Random House. And then I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just go write this book. And John David Mann and I, who's the co-author of a book, he's the co-author of this book. He wrote a book called The the, Go-Giver, which The Go-Giver is like one of the greatest books ever. It's also a story-based book. And when John sent it to me to give him a testimonial like over a decade ago, I said to him, I've got this idea for a book called The Latte Factor. Someday you and I will write it together. And so – I decided I would write it. And and part of this too is inspired by Paulo Coelho. Mm-hmm. Because my favorite author of all time is Paulo Coelho. He wrote the greatest book ever, The Alchemist. And I had a chance to go have dinner with him in Geneva. Wow. I know, right? I That's- mean, and so I I went and my wife goes, "You're going to go to you're going to go to Geneva to have dinner with with just have dinner with paulo Cuela. i go yes i am and i wow. got on a plane and i had dinner with paulo and we stayed out how all do you night. get a
0: dinner date with paulo like do you call his assistant like how did you No, you-, you know honestly what happened was he was
1: putting out a book called Delph and he had not had a book hit the even though he's so famous worldwide he's like a hundred million books he hadn't put a book out in the us in, in a long time mm. and so i supported his book launch with Brendan Burchard, and it became I was one of the biggest supporters of his book. I helped him get on the bestseller list, and so he invited a handful of us to come have dinner with him. And so Brendan's like, "Do you want to come have dinner?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I do." So we went out. We had dinner. We stayed. He left. He, we closed the restaurant down. Then we then we went drinking. <laughs> we closed the bars down, basically. Like finally, around two o'clock in the morning, he turns to me and he says to me, in the only way that Paulo can say," he says to me. David, what is the book your soul desires to write that you have not written yet?
0: Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I'm getting such chills.
1: Oh! Oh, So he says this to me, and I look at him, and I go, Paulo, I want to write this book called The Latte Factor that could inspire young people worldwide to realize they're richer than they think, that a few dollars a day could actually change their life, Mm -hmm. that they're stronger than they know, and that their dreams can still come true. And he puts his hand on my arm and he says, then David – you must write this book. (laughs) David, you must write this book. It's it's like... (laughs) like literally... And then his assistant takes him out of the... He goes, okay, well, Paulo has to go home now. So like literally he leaves and then Brendan comes over and goes, what did he say to you? And I tell Brendan the story and we're like stumbling out of this bar. We're all excited and I'm like on cloud nine. And I mean, literally I'm on cloud nine. I come home from the trip and my wife goes, well, what did Paulo say? And I'm like, Paulo (laughs) Paulo said I should write The Latte Factor. And she goes, well, I've been telling you that for 10 years. Years. You had to go to Geneva to have Paulo tell you that. But that was kind of like the final moment. And so I just decided, you know what? You know how this is. Normally you go sell a book and then you write it. I said to John, I'm going to write this book until it's perfect, like a piece of artwork. And then when we think it's done, when I think it's perfect, then we'll go sell it. And so that's what we did. We wrote it for two years. Wow. I, I literally finessed, like, you know how this, I mean, we went we would just go back and forth over sentences and words. I wanted this to be my final book, um, in this category of money. And so I said, this is it. This is my last financial book. Uh, even though it's a story and I want it to be perfect. And once we felt it was perfect, we, then we went out and auctioned it. And now we've been working on the marketing plan for, you know, you know how this is. Like oh yeah. Six marketing is like
0: so, 80% of it. Writing it is 20. So- Tell me about the, the characters. Um, Zoe, Chapter 1 starts off with um, boarding the L train to work Monday morning. You know, you got to so- get in this narrative mindset, this fiction mindset. Did you read a lot of books prior to this? Obviously, you had a really experienced co-author, but like how did you ultimately land on some of these people in the book?
1: I knew I always wanted this character. I I knew I wanted the central character to be a young woman, um, because the latte factor was always based on a young woman whose whose name was Kim, and how she had, you know, she was twenty six at the time, and how she sat in my investment class, didn't believe she could save any money, didn't believe she could pay herself first, had all these excuses, was sipping a latte, and through that real story. Of her being 26 and showing her how if she saved 5 to $10 a day, she could be a multimillionaire. There it was So it was always based on this young woman. So I always, in my mind, visualize this being a young woman. And I live in Manhattan, right? So one day, like, you know how this like, the story just came to me. I mean, literally. And I called John Mann up and I said, I have the story. Come to New York. I'm going to walk you through it. So he comes to New York. I live right by the, the Freedom Tower. I walk through the 9 11 memorial every day damn the way to the office and I go through the Oculus. I said, I'm going to take. So, he, John came. We went to the Oculus. I go, okay. So, she's a young woman. Her name is, we didn't have her name, but I go, she's a young woman. She's like 26, 27. She, in the book, she's 27. We came up with the name Zoe Daniels. I go, she's going to come from Brooklyn because that's where all the kids, you know, young people live in Brooklyn now. They don't live in New York. I could
0: have helped you with this book. I live in Brooklyn. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a woman. So, I said, you know,
1: so then she's going to come up at the Fulton Center. And I took him to the Fulton Center, the subway station, the largest subway station in Manhattan. She's going to come up out of the Oculus. She's going to walk down this corridor and she's going to see this LCD screen. This is all real. And she's going to see this LCD screen. It's the largest LCD screen in the world. And I think it's certainly in America, it's like a football field length. And she's going to see this thing on this LCD screen. It's going to say, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. And so she, so I walk him through this. And so then I go, then she's going to come up this escalator. And this is what happens the story. She comes up this escalator, and she comes up right by the 9-11 memorial, which is next door to her office at the Freedom Tower. And in my mind, quite frankly, she worked at Condé Nast. So I don't say Condé Nast in the book, but Condé Nast is in the Freedom Tower. Mm-hmm. And I said, she's going to come up at the 9-11 memorial, which she's walked by for six years, never paid attention really to it, which is so easy to do when you live down there. There. And for the first time ever, she's going to stop and look at the 9 11 memorial and see people mourning. And she's going to sit down on these marble benches and she's going to ask herself the question, what is she doing with her life? And that's going to lead into her story. And her story is one that I think anyone, quite frankly, at any age can relate to, which is that she's now been working in New York for six years. She's making more money, but she's not getting ahead. And she's starting to give up hope on her dreams because she's living paycheck to paycheck. And she's questioning her whole life. Why is it not getting better? And so by questioning what's happening in her life, she starts to say to people that she knows, I can't, you know, I can't afford things. And like, I'm not sure if this is working for me. And she gets mentors and those mentors tar- start to take her on a journey of teaching her these life lessons that ultimately can completely transform her life.
0: It's so relatable. I remember being also, you know, twenty five and having both a kind of existential crisis, but also a financial crisis. I'm like, okay, and, and 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 I felt like I couldn't really achieve my goals until my financial life was under wraps, until my student loans are out of the picture, until my credit cards were taken care of. Um, it's such a roadblock for especially young people. Um, do you think that uh, – so this is like a big question, a sort of – I mean, I, I've been getting this question a lot with the launch of Stacks House, sort of like who's accountable? I mean, you can read this book and be inspired and you can go to Stacks House and be inspired and there's a lot of resources and tools out there for everybody, especially women these days. But what is it going to take to really get people at, en masse you know, improving their financial lives—it's—it's it's, it's all hands on deck at this point, right? We got to keep the, uh, the companies accountable, employers accountable, banks accountable, especially individuals too. But you know, what do you see is sort of like some of the the other solutions that need to come to the forefront?
1: Well, it's, I have very specific beliefs um, about these issues. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> first of all, I believe that the reason people are are failing financially. Is that for the most part, people are financially illiterate. Right. And the reason people are financially illiterate is that the basics, like what's in the latte factor, is a book you can read in 90 less than 90 minutes. My son, who's 15, Jack, he's never read any of my books. He finally he read this book cover to cover. He even when the book, when the book came out of the the box, he's like, that's a book I can read. And so Jack, who's 15, read the book, got to the end of the book. He did this in two hours on a plane flight, turned to me and said, dad, is this chart about this IRA account thing, this $2,000 a year? Dad, is this, is this chart real? Because he couldn't believe the chart. And by the way, when I saw the chart at the age of 26, I couldn't believe it either. And what the chart shows is that if, if a young person who's 19 puts $2,000 a year away and just does it till the age of 26 – and never saves another dollar. Mm -hmm. By the time they reach 65, they have over a million dollars in savings, which is the epitome of the volatility factor because it's $5.41 a day to save. And then it shows somebody who's starting later, who starts at 26, and how they have to save all the way till 65 and they don't even catch up. And he looked at the chart and he goes, dad, I'm 15. I could probably have close to $2 million. How do I go get one of these IRA accounts? (laughs) Now he's 15 years old, but he's he also asked other questions. He said, I don't understand how this works. I explained, again, compound interest. He goes, well, when do I pay taxes on it? I go, when you take it out. He goes, oh, okay. I don't pay taxes the whole time until I take it out. Nope. Now, re- remember this, Farnish. He's 15, right? Yeah. These are like unbelievable questions that he's asking. Mm-hmm. Then then he says to me, I go, what's the most important lesson you learned in the book? And, and then we can talk about this, about my grandmother's story. But he said, the fact that I need to take risk in my life, Dad, to go for my dreams, I have to take risk. Yes. And, and I don't want to be somebody who looks back on their life and has regrets. And like my family is getting ready to move for a year to Florence, Italy. After this book is done and my tour is done, I'm taking a sabbatical for a year and moving my family to Florence, Italy. And we did this intentionally. It's part of the story it's in the book, too, because Zoe Daniels learns how to take a sabbatical. Um, we did this intentionally so that we could take my son to live abroad, my whole family, for a year. But we decided to give a 15-year-old the option to go or not because we knew he loved his school. And so he had – and I wasn't sure if he would do it, right? And he looked at me and he said, you know, Dave, I realized that if I didn't go to Florence, this would be my first regret in life, yeah. that I had – and I, and I just thought, so he's learned two huge life lessons that will impact him for the rest of his life. Now, going, going back to what you just asked me, and I said I have very specific beliefs around this, I just think we need to teach the basics of financial literacy in school. Like what's in the latte factor or the book The Automatic Millionaire or Smart. this stuff should just be taught in school. By the time you graduate high school – you should have to pass a test that proves you're financially literate, just like a math test, just like a science test, all these core curriculum things. Money should be a part of that. And, and, the, and the reality is it probably will never happen. And so what happens is the rich pe- rich people teach their kids how to continue to be rich, but the middle class and the poor don't know these. T- they don't know this stuff, and you can't do better if you don't know better. So again, like that's why I decided to go put all this energy into this book. Like you've got to teach people how to know better so they can do better. That's number one. One okay. is b- people don't do better because they don't know better, and the system is set up for people to be broke, and it's worse than it's ever been. Like the fact that kids get out of school today and they are $100,000 in, in student loan debt that they can, in many cases, never pay back. Mm-hmm. They can't even go bankrupt and get away from it. We are trapping an entire generation of people in debt from the moment they get out of college. And it's wrong. And you had it on your wall, the debt statistics and the $1.5 trillion. And and that's the first trap. The second trap is the banking system with credit cards and the way people borrow money to buy things that go down in value, like cars. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Like people right.
1: go out and they buy it. The average American has a car that costs $533 a month. And I just talked about this with Lewis Howes on his podcast. By the time you factor in insurance and gas, and maintenance. maintenance. Of a car. Oh, boy. that that car costs you, in some cases seven to ten thousand dollars a year. The average American works three months a year for a new car. Well, that's a, that's just a, that's a joke, right? Yeah,
0: like, and you know that people are now behind on their car payments more than they have been since the recession. If that's an indication of. It's a really total, the health of the economy.
1: It's Well, it's a total indication of everything that happens right before a recession, yeah. right? So, so, But the sad thing is that people don't realize what they're doing. They actually don't know. It's marketing. And so instead of being marketed to save $533, which, by the way, would make the average American financially secure for life. If the average American didn't go spend $533 a month on a new car and put it into a 401k plan... And you attach the match that more 401k plans have. They'd be saving seven to eight thousand dollars a year. And if you did that in your 20s, you'd be a multimillionaire by the time you retire.
0: Incredible. And, and it's incredible, right? It's and so the, incredible. And- but you're right; it's not packaged to be sexy or che or or exciting. And uh, you know, five hundred thirty-three dollars times thirty years compounded—like that's kind of abstract. You know, it's it is one thing to say, "Well, you'll retire a millionaire." That's pretty compelling. But we're just hardwired to want instant gratification. Unfortunately.
1: Well, and I think then we're also, you know, we're, we're hardwired. It's like the giant head fake. Politics is a giant head fake, right? So you have a whole group of people that focus on telling you it's not your fault, you're poor, it's the government's fault. The government should have done something to help you and they're not helping you. Well, that's, let me tell you something, the government's never going to help you. So let's just be honest. doesn't matter who's in office. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. Nobody's coming to save you. Zoe Daniels learns this lesson in the book. She, her mentor teaches her, she, he says to her flat out, nobody's coming to save you. It doesn't matter who the, who's in office. And, and no man's coming to save you. There's a whole thing in here about women's financial empowerment, where her ultimate mentor is also a, a woman who's a self-made millionaire, and, and she says to Zoe, "You need to be your own prince charming. No one's coming to save yeah. you. You need to be charge your own finances. No one's coming to save you." And goes through the statistics: eighty percent of women die widowed, eighty oh. percent of men yeah. die married and he, and she walks her through the stats and says i don't care if you do get married you still need to be in charge of your money mm-hmm. and she goes really what happens to her her transformation she goes from being a financial victim to being her own financial hero and you know that's what people have to learn how to do that's why they listen to your podcast like yeah. learn how to be your own financial hero be your yeah. own financial superwoman your own financial superman
0: well, I tell you, I, <clears throat> I'm with you. I believe, I think a lot of people believe that. And I think that there's just like this school of thought that believing that it's, it should be every, like it should be the individual's responsibility is somehow <clears throat> an unfair prescription. Like, you know, what about the system? And I'm like, yeah. But, I get it. You know, like the system is broken. You just pointed out all these issues that we have with the credit system and like the false bill of goods that we sell students. Oh, yeah, take on $200,000 worth of debt and you'll be fine. No, that's, we're not saying that that is good or should continue, but I think that there is something to be said about Giving people the motivation and, you know, we underestimate people. Like you just talked about your 15 year old and he gets it. You know, people think that money is too abstract, too complex. People don't get it, but we have to give ourselves more credit where it's due. I get you.
1: And when also, this is why I go back to why did you do the latte factor? Because people get it. They go, oh, you're right. I spend $5 a day on coffee. If I stop doing that, I could probably have some money. Bottle water, cigarettes. I, I mean, and these lessons, you have to teach this to your kids. I was in Alta, Utah skiing with my son. And he, I gave him his $20 to go get his lunch, right? So I was expecting change back, by the way. And I was on a call, and I went and got my lunch. And... <laughs> He comes back to the table and he's bought bottled water, which was like $4. And on my table, sitting next to him, is my free glass of water, because I asked for a glass and filled up the water myself. Now, here's the thing, Farnesh. I can afford all the bottled water in the world, but it's
0: stupid, (laughs) right? Yeah. So
1: and so, I I start taking a picture of him with his bottled water and my free glass of water, and he goes, "Dad, what are you doing?" I go, "I'm gonna post this right now, make an example of you." (laughs) And and he's like, "No, you're not." Social shame. Yes, I am. And then I started going. I go. You just spent four dollars on that. What are you doing? Like, the, you know, you're. First of all, your dad's the latte factor guy. But more right. importantly, we don't buy bottled water unless you absolutely, positively have to. And you didn't have to. And that's a lesson for you. And so, you know, those are the kind of things that. Again, $5 a day, people go, well, it doesn't add up. No, it actually does add up. Mm And so does $10 a day. And so there's all the charts in the book that show you what it adds up to. Somebody said to me yesterday, you know what? I don't want to wait to be 60 to retire. I go, great. When do you want to retire? And they were in their 20s. And they said, I want to retire by 45. I go, okay, let's just focus on getting a million dollars first. I go, because 99% of people in America don't have a million dollars. So, let's just focus on what it would it take you to have a million dollars in 20 years. And I go, here's the answer. It's called the fifty twenty formula. You need to save $50 a day for 20 years. I go, and in, in 20 years, if you have a rate of return of over 10, of 10%, you'll have over $1.1 $1. 1 million. $50 a day. And he goes, really? <laughs> oh, go, Yeah. He goes, I, he's like, I could figure out how to save $50 a day. He's like, I, I don't have it now, but he said, I could figure out how to make an extra 50 bucks a day and save it. And so that's super specific, right? 50, 20 formula, say $50 a day for 20 years, put it in the stock market, in an index fund, leave it alone for 20 years, all goes right, you've got over a million dollars. That's a great simple system for people to think about, but you got to chunk it down to daily amounts because it always becomes overwhelming. If you don't chunk it down to daily amounts.
0: Yeah. I want to go back in time a little bit, David. This is a question that I'm asking guests in the month of May in partnership with our sponsor, Chase. Um, It's graduation month. Perfect time for your book, The Latte Factor, to be coming out. Um, But when you were graduating college, what would you say was the one thing you wish – the, the advice the financial advice you wish you had gotten upon graduating because as we know <laughs> a lot of us make our biggest mistakes in our 20s when it comes to money so was there something that you wish you had been told or sh- or advice you were given oh my god
1: completely and Chase won't want to hear it so um <laughs> you know the single biggest mistake i made is like i went to usc for college and at I don't, you can't do this anymore but it used to be when i like when i went to usc there was Three people lined up right next to you when you came into your dorm. There was a guy giving out dictionaries. It tells you like my age now because they really were giving out a dictionary. There was a guy giving out a bike lock, and there was a guy giving out a USC T-shirt. And what they were doing is that you had to all you had to do is hand them your. It was called a valid end card. It was your student ID, and they gave you an instant credit card. And and so for signing up for the credit card, instant. they gave you. They gave you an instant mean like a week later, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were were approved on the spot. Mm. So everybody's picking up literally like their dictionary, their USC T-shirt, and their bike lock. And then we all got our credit cards a week later. Literally, like the whole dorm, right? And those credit cards were like 500 to to $1,000. So now, because I'm dumb, because I'm 18 years old and I've never had a credit card before, I was like, oh, I'll just use this in case of emergency purposes. Well, guess what? The first day, we were all at the bar playing credit card roulette. Who's going to pick up the bar right. bill? And, you know, which is true too, which is funny when I think about it because we were 18, but we were. This is exactly what we did, right? So I start using those credit cards and then as soon as I maxed them, and it was fine because I, I was again dumb. I'm like I can make, I, I would get these bills and I would make the minimum payments, no big deal. And then as soon as I maxed them out, the credit card companies came back and increased. Oh, thank you so much for using your credit cards. Mm. We've, we've extended your, your limit. Oh boy. So by sophomore year, I was five thousand dollars in credit card debt. I came home. I'll never forget this because it was Christmas time. I I brought the bills to show my father. I said, Dad, you know I got to show you something. I don't know how to tell you this, but we have a problem.
0: <laughs> we and have
1: a problem. I, <laughs> this is the key. We have a problem. I handed him the bills, and he and I said, I can't even make. I'm having a hard time making. No, I go. I'm having a hard time. i making the minimum payments. I don't. We really have to do something about this. And he looked. He handed the bills back yes. to me. I'll never forget. I was in my dad's <laughs> office. He handed them back to me, and he said, "Son, we don't have a problem." <laughs> and he and he and I go, Dad what do you mean? He's like, do you see my name on those credit cards? I go, no. He's like, it's because my name's not on those credit card bills. You son have a problem. And all I can tell you son is if you don't make these payments on time, you're going to ruin your credit report, your credit score. And if you ruin your credit score, you're going to ruin your life financially. And he walked out of the office and I was like, "Whoa! Talk about a financial grown-up moment!" You know, our buddy, our buddy Bobby Rebel. Um, that was my yes. grown-up moment. And so I was like, "Well, I'm going to have to go get a job, right?" So I go back to school. I go USC. The bookstores got to always have job offers. So I'm like, "Okay, I'll go get a job. I'll go get a job. I'll go get a you know." And then I realized, then they pay minimum wage. So the first lesson I learned was. I'd have to work 25 to 30 hours now a week on top of school at minimum wage to pay these credit cards off. That's never going to work. Which, by the way, this is exactly why Americans get trapped. So, you know, my lesson was the hard way what credit card debt can do to you. And it was horrible. That, That... that had a major psychological impact on me as a sophomore and a junior in college. That added huge financial pressure to me. Now, it inspired me to become an entrepreneur because I had to, figure out how to make money faster to pay those credit cards off. But that was a huge life lesson. And I don't think the credit card companies are allowed to so blatantly push credit cards now in front of the dorms anymore. But, no. you know, you got to teach. these. I wish I had known. I wish I had known about the trap of credit card debts before I got to college. I didn't know.
0: But kudos to your father for putting the fear of God in you. I had a similar story with my mom and I it was scary in the moment, but I think it was important and it happened when it should have. I appreciate that it happened when I was in my early, you know, 20s as opposed to, you know, much later when I had higher higher stakes. And it like you said it taught you entrepreneurship and the the importance of working jobs. I think that sometimes parents are you know, I don't know how to have the financial literacy conversation. I'm not that good at money myself. And I'm like, you know what? Just start by encouraging your children to work because that's how they're going to learn the value of a paycheck, how taxes work. And in having to live off of that for some of their expenses is going to be a, 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 great, a great lesson because they'll overspend sometimes and just learn at a young age, which is when you should learn it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think also, you know, like you said, that was a gift actually that my dad didn't save me. It forced me to learn how to save myself. Um, yeah. and I, you know, I really do hope the latte factor is going to be a graduation gift book. Um, cause it's the perfect graduation gift book, high school or college. Uh, the Latte Factor should be the perfect gift ge- book to give to graduates. And by the way, let me just tell you the website people can go to. Yes, gonna, We're gonna we'll be running a special promotion right now. It's running. It's at the LatteFactor.com. We have over five hundred dollars in bonus programs when you just buy one copy of the book. And one of the most amazing bonus programs that you get—it's all free—is I created an I did an all-day course called Start Late Finish Rich. It's nineteen videos, and it's one of the most popular online financial courses ever we've had 32,000 people go through it and Whoa. it's there it's there sitting there for free so you go to the lattefactor.com you buy one copy of the book uh, in addition to that all these goodies you're going to get you'll also help feed another family in America um, we have a partnership with brandless who's sponsoring my brand new podcast yeah. it's going to be coming out uh, next week called the latte factor and brandless is uh, for every book order we get on our website And where they said, if you send us your receipt, again, all at thelattefactor.com, Brandless is going to feed a family for every book order. So um, that's super exciting, too.
0: I love that. Just eternally inspiring, David Bach. Thank you so much. TheLatteFactor.com for all of those freebies, everybody. Don't miss out on that. Great book for graduation. Great book for anybody who's just having – they're at a crossroads, right? A financial crossroads, but also like a life crossroads because money – managing your money is managing your life
1: completely completely I mean it, it's a book for anybody who's got dreams and if, if you're like I don't have any dreams then I'm like let's go get you some dreams yeah, let's because get you some dreams. when you fix your finances you fix your life and you free yourself to go for your dreams and that's my whole goal with this book is to free people to u- to use their God-given gifts to go for their dreams so um, Farnoosh I'm so grateful to you for dropping everything to do this podcast quickly before the book comes out thank you so much uh, I appreciate you and um, I appreciate your audience for listening
0: Thanks to David for joining us. Check out the LatteFactor.com for all those really generous goodies. I'm going to check them out. If you missed any of this, just head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com where you can get the audio, the transcript. And also while you're there, if you want to send me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh, click on the Ask Farnoosh button. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money.